sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. One of the themes that has emerged from our recent politics and cultural experience here in America is the theme of tribalism, and it has profound implications for religious freedom. Uh, this is going to be an interesting show. I'm pleased to welcome back my good friend, Attorney James Standish. Uh, James, welcome to Freedom's Ring. It's great to be back with you, Alan, and a uh, very warm greeting to our listeners. So, you know, there have been a, a number of recent, uh, very thoughtful articles analyzing the recent election and, um, you know, kind of discussing the, the growth of secularism. But how does this lead to tribalism? And let's take a look at the implications for religious liberty. But, but talk about the, the kind of the growth of tribalism first, I think. Um, there's a very interesting article uh, in the April issue of the Atlantic Monthly that it does a very fine job of analyzing what just happened in the last election and trying to explain it through uh, through understanding religious demographics. We've all heard the the, the claim that uh, Donald Trump was overwhelmingly supported by evangelicals, and you've, you've heard that, and, and as have I. Um, but what this article does is actually break that down a little bit. And the point that the author makes is that while it's true that Donald Trump was overwhelmingly supported by evangelicals, it is not true that he was overwhelmingly supported by church-going evangelicals. In other words, there is a very large group of, of people who describe themselves as evangelicals, but actually uh, who do not uh, regularly attend church or hardly ever attend church. In other words, the religious identification is more one that we describe with an ethnicity or a tribalism than it has to do with any kind of um, uh, specific ongoing uh, activity or living faith or all those sorts of things that, that we would describe it as. And, and you see this across the board. And, and uh, so the, we also looked at that. And then also on the left side of the ledger, he looked at the impact of growing secularism among the Democratic Party and how those two um, phenomenon are driving the parties uh, in their particular perspectives. Because if you look at the Democratic Party, their party uh, had a, a, a manifesto or a uh, agenda uh, that was passed in the last, um, uh, the last conference that was further left on many of the hot-button social issues than they've ever been before. At the same time, you have the Republican Party uh, with a leader who is not what you'd call a typical uh, evangelical or Catholic or Christian in, in any sense of the, the word. And certainly many of the things that he said um, are really not within the mainstream of, of Christian thought. So you have these two phenomenons happening at the same time, and the point that the, that the article makes is that this increasing secularization, both of the left and of the right, is producing this politics that is uh, is both um, a winner-take-all sort of mindset, an inability to compromise, and it's also under undermining what was at one point a common cultural understanding. In other words, you could be a Democrat 
uh, with a Judeo-Christian uh, morality undergirding your decision-making and your policies, or you could be a Republican with the same undergirding uh, understanding. And between those two, there's, there's, there's some overlap. Well, if, as both parties have increasingly become uh, uh, secularized, undergirding commonality is gone. And we're now increasingly becoming a part of these irreconcilable tribal communities. So one of the things that I think is so fascinating, I guess I have never really considered that there might be a large segment of what we know of as the evangelical community that's really just secular, that they're not, that they're kind of cultural Christians. Within, within our own denomination, Seventh-day Adventists, we recognize that there are those who've grown up in the church who um, don't necessarily buy into the doctrines of the church, but are very much part of the community and identify themselves with the church and participate in church life to some extent. But, you know, those who are more, uh, you know, believers, if you will, you know, will derive them as cultural Adventists, but we have cultural evangelicals who are essentially, uh, you know, they identify as part of the Christian community, as part of the evangelical community, but they're essentially secular. And, and this, this has been the, the for, for older religious traditions, whether it's Catholicism or the Orthodox Church or uh, mainstream uh, mainline Protestantism, this has always been the way it is. You know, you think about it in Britain where you have these uh, soccer teams, for example, Liverpool and Everton. One is the Catholic team, one is the Protestant team. Now, the vast majority of people who have loyalty to those soccer teams based on the religious, the historic religious identity of those teams, they're not going to be active churchgoers. <laughs> it's just their tribe, right? Mm-hmm. This is their tribe. They're Protestants. They're Catholic. Same thing, you know, with all the violence in Northern Ireland. A lot of those people who are involved in it weren't necessarily <laughs> church-going people. It's their tribe that they're fighting for. And I think when you've got religion as a tribal um, identity and you strip it away from the humility, the love, the, uh, the, um, uh, the beauty of uh, sacrifice, you strip those things away, you have a very belligerent force. And that belligerent force can be a very, very dangerous force. On the other side of it, when you have this flat-out secularism, we've seen this play out. We know what this show looks like. We've seen it in countries all around the world. Secularism with no a firm moral basis in the value of humanity and, and all the things that, that go into a Christian worldview is a very, very dangerous thing. We've seen it from Cambodia to China to Russia to all of Central Asia and so forth. We've seen this all over the world. We know how this show, we saw it in, 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 during the French Revolution. We know how that show ends. So we have uh, this, this uh, sort of belligerent tribal uh, religion on one side that's stripped of its actual authentic spirituality. On the other side, you have secularism, which is a very uh, dangerous and corrosive force left unchecked, and that is where our major political parties, according to the Atlantic, and I think the analysis is actually a sound and very, very interesting, and for listeners, I'd highly suggest that you, you, you read this article. It's one of the few pieces that have come out of the last election that sort of gave me an aha moment, as in, how did this election happen? Why is it so different from all the others? What are the undergirding uh, forces behind this? You read that article and you, you snap your fingers and say, ah, all well, the forces moving us in one direction or another finally came to fruition. You know, um, there's a law that uh, every argument on the Internet eventually invokes uh, 
Hitler and the Nazis. I don't remember the name <laughs> of the law. But, um, uh, you know, at, at the risk of, of degenerating here to the absurd, you know, when we talk about tribalism, of course, Germany in the 30s and 40s was, um, you know, kind of exhibit A of what happens in the extreme uh, when tribalism runs amok. Uh, well, and, that's exactly right. And, and, and you know, I, I'm just reading this, this uh, which I highly recommend to, to, to listeners, the uh, biography of Bonhoeffer by uh, Eric Metaxas. And I've just finished the segment on, uh, oh, the, the segment, the book in, intertwines with this theme all the way through, but a segment that really examines the Nazis' uh, approach to Christianity. And what's very interesting is, first they tried to co-opt the church, but they also had a deep disdain for the fundamentals of Christianity because Christianity is about forgiveness and turning the other cheek and the meek and the, all these things. And that's exactly the opposite of fascism. Fascism is about being strong. It's about being belligerent. It's about, it's about winning. It's about, it's about uh, crushing your enemies, all those sorts of things. So, you know, it comes from, as you know, from Nietzscheism. But the point is uh, that, many, that some Christians went along with it letting their faith be co-opted and in the process sort of be stripped away from its spiritual foundations and, like I said, uh, sort of uh, becoming this tribal identifier. We're Christians. Don't step on us. You're not Christians. You're part of the problem. We're going to go after you. I see that attitude uh, within the church today here in America in our attitude about Muslims, about Islam. Well, I think we do have to be very careful about that, uh, Alan. And then, you know, you, you listen to across the country. Look, I get it. There is a problem in Islam. Sure. And there is a violent terrorism within Islam. I lived in Thailand. There's a problem. There's a problem in the Philippines. There's a problem in the Middle East. There's been problems in France and the United States and, and so forth. Anyone who, who tries to say it's just like anything else that's going on in the world is wrong. But at the same time, uh, we have to recognize that the vast majority of Muslims are not involved in violent uh, activities and uh, being very, very careful, very thoughtful, very um, deliberative uh, in the face of this particular problem is, I think, absolutely necessary. And you're right. Uh, I was deeply uncomfortable. I, I remain uh, more than deeply uncomfortable. I reject any sort of wholesale Islam is. I grew up in a Muslim country uh Alan, I grew up in Malaysia. That's where my parents were missionaries there. I know what it's like to live in a Muslim, majority Muslim country. I know what it's like to have family friends who are Muslim. I know what it's like to, uh, you know, I know what it's, uh, the whole, the whole system, everything about it. Uh, I'm very familiar with it. Not be, and, and of course I've traveled to many, uh, Muslim, majority Muslim countries as well. I'm not suggesting there are problems. There are some really serious problems. Terrorism is a deep, Serious violent uh, jihadi terrorism is a huge problem within the Islamic community. Many Muslims understand that, but what we have to resist is getting into this tribalism. We're Christians, they're Muslims. We're you know we're going to align ourselves in, a, in some sort of tribalistic, belligerent way against them. See that? Yeah, I think. <laughs> but let's <you> speak <laughs> You did. I think this uh, this issue of tribalism is a very disturbing issue, um, especially well. You know, in terms of, of what we do here at Freedom's Ring and focusing on religious freedom issues, uh, you know, tribalism is the antithesis of religious freedom because it, you know, it defends the rights of the in-group, of the tribe, 
uh, and uh, neglects or deprives uh, others of their rights. And that's just not what religious freedom is. Religious freedom is nothing if it's not freedom for all of the groups. Well, that's right. And if you want to see in our lifetime how this plays out on the margins, okay, when you take this to its logical conclusion, you just have to look at the form of Yugoslavia. There's a religio-ethnic uh, uh, identification of different groups there. And when you decide that, that your tribal sort of identification is going to be your primary marker in the way that you treat other people and, uh, and how you decide who is an enemy and who's your friend and so forth, that is what you get. And I think that we have to be very careful in the United States uh, in a couple different ways. When I listen to how uh, the left talks about the right, it makes me very, very uncomfortable. When I hear how the right is talking about the left, it makes me very, very uncomfortable. Not because I'm easily discomforted or I have some sort of special little uh, sensibility, but because you have to ask yourself, how are we going to live together as a country? How are we going to make it together as a country when we talk about people whose views uh, differ from us on various different uh, policy matters in a way that is demeaning, that is uh, that characterizes the other side as literally uh, evil, uh, and, and, and reprehensible. It, it's a very, it's a very, um, we're, we're in it, and I think that we, we're dangerous. What you're talking we about are, is a plea for civility. Civility okay. is out of fashion today. Civility, humility. Yeah. Humility is a Christian, a fundamental uh, faith principle. Yeah, it's this idea of, uh, you know, uh, of humbleness. I've been wrong before. You've been wrong before. Probably I'm wrong, almost definitely some of my views are absolutely fundamentally incorrect. Sometimes it can be hot. And, you know, and James, I'm going to have to cut you off there because we're out of time. But yes, you and I have both been wrong before as remarkable as it seems. We've been talking about tribalism. My guest, my good friend James Standish. This has been Freedom Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, friends, let freedom ring.